we have been on this series that I'm calling I Don't Know. I had this really incredible conversation with a good friend of mine over a beer, and he just sort of like, it was one of those conversations that was rich and that was easy. I hadn't connected with him in a long time, and he just simply says to me, Dale, I, I don't know what I believe anymore. And it was like right there in that moment, my heart just completely resonated with that. And um, as many of you know, we're, we're in this moment in history and time where there is lots of change, lots of things going on in our world. And I, I had wondered if many of us in the depths of our heart aren't sort of echoing that, I don't know anymore. And so I've been excited. The last week we talked on I don't know. We talked about spirituality. This week we're, I'm going to talk to you today about rationality. And then next week we'll go to morality. And then Science Mike will wrap all these things up and drop the mic right here on this very floor. And um, this, this phrase, this I don't know, we talked about Phyllis Tickle, this incredible um, historian, and how she says that every 500 years the church goes through a rummage sale. And it's, uh, it's her funny way of saying, it's like every 500 years, culture changes and the mindsets shift and everything gets all unsettled. And we live in a really important moment in Christian history, a moment where we get to do some really cool work of charting what the next 500 years are going to look like. And so it's an exciting time. It's a scary time. But this, I don't know, sums it up well, this sense that we are on this journey together and it's exciting and, and we hope that this is a safe place, a place where you can ask your questions, a place where you can be yourself and a place where together we are charting what the future of Christianity will look like. So that's where we're headed and uh, I'm excited for today. Are you with me? Yes. Let's pray. God, thank you for this community. Thank you for all the things underneath the surface, the love we show to one another, the compassion, the kindness. Thank you for what you are doing within our hearts. I ask you, God, to make this a safe community, a place where questions and a place where, where awe and wonder and beauty can be present. God, open our hearts now as we continue with one another in worship. And everybody said, Amen. Have you ever been in a classroom with a teacher who just had that gift of bringing out questions? They just seemed to warm and welcome the room, and it's as if the four walls of the classroom were somehow just blown up, and you could dream, and you could ask whatever you want. You were safe. Have you been in that classroom before? And I wonder, not only if you've been in that classroom how would you describe it? If you had one word, how would you describe it? Maybe it wasn't just a classroom. Maybe it was a person that made you feel like any question was really safe. Shout out, don't be afraid. We are wild flowers after all. What, uh, what would you say? What's one word that describes that classroom? Profound. Whoa. Profound. Growth. Don't stop. Energetic. Laughter. What was that? Say it. Meaningful. So good. Oh, man. Troublesome, yes. Loving. Wow. Exploration. Thank you. 
motivational man. What else we got? What was that? Jesus. Because Jesus. that's the answer in church, right? Jesus. That's the question and the answer, right? Did I hear transforming? Transformational. Thank you. Hope. I heard hope. Wow, look at all these good answers. Transformational hope. Ooh, intimate, unencumbered. Yeah. Say that again. Supported. Wonderful, supportive. Welcoming, wonderful. Challenging. Freeing. Oh my gosh, hey, we have opened up the wildflower. Look at the fountain is coming. Freeing, wow. Okay, this week, those are amazing, thank you. This week, you're not done, stay on your toes. This week I found this quote by David Hackett Fisher. Questions are the engines of intellect, the cerebral machines which convert energy into motion, and curiosity-controlled inquiry. Look at your answers here. Incredible questions are energy. They're catalytic. They allow something that wasn't there before to burst into the room. There's a sense that questions are what inspires us, what moves us forward. There is this like profound sense that questions are, are a sacred thing, a holy thing. The fire that burns within us asks these great questions. Now I want to ask you another question. Have you ever been in a classroom where that professor felt that they were the one expert in the room and they decided that you were to be unloaded upon through a lecture? They were going to literally dump information into you. Have you been in that classroom? Yes. I, I, there were a lot more head nods at that one, by the way. And uh, what, what was your experience? One word of that type of classroom. Shout, squelched, oh my gosh. Shout them out, don't be afraid. Boring. Boring. Oh, bo wow. Unsafe, thank you. Keep coming, keep coming. Like overwhelming. Huh. Overload. Fire hose. Disconnected. Great word. Traditional. What was that other word? Demeaning. Traditional. What else? Notes. Notes in parentheses that I'll never read again. It's <laughs> awesome. Mm hmm. That's funny. Selfish. Selfish. Arrogant. Mm. Modernity. Hmm. Hmm. Good one. Modernity. 
non-existent. Look at you, look at... Yeah, hey, I'm sorry. You know, we know the, uh, <laughs> that was awesome. Ross says, we can't read any of those. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, the, the founder of the TED Talk conferences said this, in school we are rewarded for having the answer, not for asking a good question. This is Richard Saul Werman who dedicated his life to letting people have a, a stage for questions to be asked, more questions. And so isn't that fascinating that we are taught the right answer is what it should be? I, I read that this week that in preschool, kids from age zero to four, they ask 100 questions a day. And is your, if you're a parent or a grandparent or have been around preschool kids, it's why, 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 times 100, right? And then I read that in middle school, They've stopped asking the questions. And there's, there's a couple things going on with their development and their growth, but isn't that sad that we've created a culture that says that's more about answers instead of questions? Um, this week I was thinking about how cool it would be if we as parents or grandparents, if we would literally ask our kids, instead of how was your day, what, what questions did you ask today? Wouldn't that be neat if we cultivated the curiosity of our kids, of the kids in our neighborhoods all the time? So you have, on one end, you have this question asking and this safety to ask the questions. And you have, on the other end, this almost suspicion of questions. And of course, like, I love what Tim said, that like, sometimes these lectures are informative, right? Like, you need a really good TED Talk on neuroscience to understand neuroscience. But there are other times where it's just too much, where you can't interact with the material. And so we have TED Talks in our culture, and we have really great learned books that can help us. But primarily, what sometimes is easy to do is to drift into this place where questions are met with suspicion, where there's a sense of deep suspicion about what questions we have. And the expert in the room is the only person who can talk about these. So, um, I was fascinated this week that in the history of Christianity, we have these really incredible pockets of suspicion of questions, but also the sacredness of questions. And in earliest Christianity, Paul and Silas, they're headed on their missionary trip to Macedonia. And they find this small town in Berea. And uh, as they approach this synagogue and begin to share this message they have burning in their hearts, this is what it says in the passage. It says, that very night the believers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica, for they welcomed the message very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see whether those things were so. So you have this little picture, this little community of early Jewish Christians who are, they, they didn't just sort of accept what Paul and Silas said. They said, we got to ask some questions about what you guys are saying. And this, this verb examine, it means to test, to question, to roll around in your mind. And isn't it like this kind of deep, awesome breath that these are early Jewish Christians who are like, the questions are where it's at. This is the, what the adventure is all about. So we have this incredible moment in early Christianity where questions were put at the top of the list, where there was an energy and a synergy in the room, and we were able to explore what this journey with Jesus could be about. Unfortunately, as many of you know, the church has also had its history of suspicion 
of questions. And I want to tell you a little bit about that today. Um, In 1543, Nicholas Copernicus, he wrote a book on the revolution of the celestial spheres. And of course, his book claimed that the sun was the center of the universe. Shocking, I know, shocking, right? Um, We all assume this is so true in our world today, but at the moment that Nicholas Copernicus wrote his book, he waited till the very end of his life because he was so afraid of of being rejected, of his ideas being rejected, and so he publishes his book right before he dies. And of course, um, there are many, many people in the church who said, this is great, this is wonderful, but this shocked the ancient world. It was, the air was filled with suspicion. How could he say this? The earth is no longer the center. We're not the center of the world. The sun is. And so then um, Nicholas Copernicus' work was picked up in 1616 by Galileo, who built upon his work, but he built a better telescope so that we could actually chart the stars and prove uh, prove Copernicus right, that the sun was the center and that the earth simply revolved around it. And uh, his work, Galileo was more bold. He was more brave. In fact, he liked conflict. And so the church calls a conference with Galileo uh, and he gets in trouble. And uh, basically the Pope and the Cardinal, they say this, you must abandon completely the opinion that the sun stands all at the center of the world and the earth and moves. And henceforth, not to hold teach or defend it in any way, whatever, either orally or in writing. So the church holds a public trial and makes him sign this contract that he will no longer speak or write about the sun being the center. And so this moment, it's this moment of um, suspicion and deep distrust that our questions could mean anything. We have this telescope, but it's still filled with fears for us. But Galileo isn't always innocent, even though the church came down very hard and very strong, and at the end of his life, he's under house arrest for more of his ideas. Um, Galileo was an incredible writer and would often poke fun back. So there's, there's always a both and, but the, the, the reality was that his questions were met with suspicion. So we write cartoons like this. Galileo discusses his discoveries with the church. And the church pounces his telescope over his head, right? And this is um, often the appearance of reality of we have, we live in a world where the church for at least the last 500 years hasn't welcomed questions as much as we should. We're not known for people who have great questions. We're known for people who have solutions, right? And, And that can be problematic to some. And so this great suspicion. And then in 1859, Charles Darwin publishes The Origin of the Species, and the church flips out again, right? And even today, you hear the jokes about what this means. Instead of embracing all that science has to teach us, we have this deep-seated suspicion about what ideas could mean. And then in 2011, in case we think we're rid of this, Rob Bell publishes a book called Love Wins, where he simply asks some questions about what is heaven and what is hell, and all of Christianity freaks out at this moment, right? In fact, people who didn't even read the book freak out at his questions that he's raising in this book. And um, I find it just absolutely amazing that even in 2011, there is this fear, This fear to ask questions and not be afraid to where they take us sometimes and to be a community that says, yeah, we're going to ask the questions and and that's okay. Uh, In fact, uh, a famous Christian uh, tweeted, farewell, Rob Bell. 
And it's this tweet that just, just reeks of this pain of, you are an outsider, I am an insider. I know what's right, your questions are not wrong. It's this tweet that's just seething in anger and suspicion of, of someone who's just simply trying to ask questions. So I wonder, have you ever been in a group, in a community of Christians where you felt it was unsafe to answer, ask questions? Wow. Have you ever felt like your ideas, the thoughts that you had, the genuine concerns were not valid? I want to say to you on behalf of the church, I am sorry. I am sorry that Christian leaders were not strong enough inside themselves to honor your voice, to listen to your questions. I am sorry to you. I think that one of the paradigm shifts that we're under is moving away from this suspicion of questions to embracing, embracing questions as a way to sacred truth. So it's, it's, um, it's this way of saying, the way I would say it a little bit better than I just said it, is that we are now in a, mo a moment in history where we move away from being suspicious about questions to embracing questions as a sacred path to knowing God. That all of us have questions to ask, and the community can rejoice when we ask questions with one another. We move beyond sort of this blind acceptance of faith, and we move into a healthy questioning faith that every one of us has, if we're completely honest about it. But I wonder why. I wonder really why we are so afraid of these questions. I wonder why we see questions as a burden instead of a gift. And I think that um, as our world, one simple answer I'd give is that as our world moves and changes, there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of things going on in all of our lives, and there's a lot of insecurity. There's things we don't know, what the future economy is going to look like, uh, wh whether, my, whether I can pay for my home, whether I can find a meaningful job, how am I ever going to pay off those student loans? And so all this complexity, all this change gets us sometimes to think that faith is our, our, our only solid thing, the thing that stands firm. And, and the funny part, though, is that faith doesn't work like that. As the rest of the world changes, your faith changes. Faith is never a stagnant pool that you come back to again and again. Faith is like a river, ever fresh, ever flowing, new, new, flowing throughout seasons. And so we get to be the people on this great adventure of thinking through what this new moment in faith will look like. So this faith as a river, these waters are full, filled with faith and hope and love. These are the waters of life but they don't always look like we thought they would. They're always moving, always meandering, always cutting through different seasons, always asking us to ride these waves in different ways. And so um, I think that uh, it's important to talk about two thinkers that uh, are very, very important to this, this understanding of question asking, the sacredness of all our questions in the community. And one is uh, a thinker named Rene Descartes. He's a French uh, philosopher and mathematician, and he comes out of the tradition of Copernicus and Galileo, and he's concerned about certainty. 
and how in our world it's ever changing and flowing in new ways, how can we be certain that we know anything? It's a real legitimate question, isn't it? But what, what Rene Descartes does is he says that if we can only get clear on our method, if we could have correct method, we could have certainty. And so his ideas are very important to the Middle Ages and to modernity. And so people had this hope that they could be certain about everything they believed. This certainty would sort of uh, provide the safety they all hoped for on this river of faith and this river of life. But unfortunately, faith and life doesn't work in certainties. Things happen that we don't expect. There are deep mysteries in the universe that we can't equate for. There are mathematical unknowns that all of us face And so along came a thinker named Hans Georg Gadamer. He died when he was 102. He was still lecturing in Germany when he was 102. That's important, right? And so he lived from 1900 to 2002. And Gadamer's life work was to take up Descartes' question of certainty. And and Gadamer basically says, hey, listen, because we're human, because we're finite, and because we don't see the whole picture all the time, there can never be certainty. But we can know things, and Gadamer proposed to us a way of asking questions. Gadamer said that all life is about the dialogue, the dialogue between what we know and the new thing that's on the horizon. And so all of our education is about what have we known before? What is there? Is the world, is the world flat? Is the world round? Is it circulating around the sun? And what are we knowing now when we look through that telescope and see the solar system and all its beauty? So Gadamer invites us to a life of dialogue, a life of conversation. Gadamer suggests to us that life is about asking the questions over and over again. It's about a conversation. So truth, the truth that we come to as a community is always about question asking and conversation and dialogue. And Gadamer is criticizing the Cartesians, all those school of Descartes that says, if I just get my method all neat and tidy, I can find the truth. I can stand apart from humanity. And Gadamer says, no, all of us are always a part of humanity. And so for Gadamer, we always are learning more about the world through art and through history and through language. Every encounter with one another is an encounter, a dialogue with truth, where we learn more and more about what it means to be human, more and more about this Christian journey that we're all on. Now I've given you deep theological thoughts. And um, I remember when I was 20 years old, And I was like struggling learning all this, like trying to put all this philosophy in my head. And I remember that um, this professor said to me, he, he, he heard my questions and he said this beautiful thing. He said, Dale, there are some questions you outgrow and there's some questions that you live with for your entire life. And he was like 65 years old and I was this 20 year old and I was like, I, I, I remember I took this deep breath when he said that. There are some questions you outgrow and some you ask for the rest of your life. And I remember thinking, like, the first thing it made me think is, like, I don't have to have the solution to every problem. And then I, like, breathed a whole deep sigh. And then he also, the way he said it was that question asking is going to be a part of your life. In all the unknowns, in all the uncertainties, you stay alive by continuing to ask the question and seek new answers, new way of knowing. And, and that's what I'm trying to say today, that there is a sacredness to all of us saying as a community, we're not gonna be A plus students and solving all the right answers, but we're gonna be A plus and asking the right questions. And so early Jewish people, they had a way of saying this uh, very different than what our, our philosophers have told us, but they called this um, midrash. 
And so when they approached a story from the Bible, they would go off into this incredible dialogue, this back and forth, this um, argument almost with one another of, oh, I think the story means this. And no, I think it means this. It was their way of examining and testing and questioning. And so often if you've ever seen this type of thing go on in a synagogue, it's exhilarating because you think they're like battling it out, but they're doing this question and answer and they're going back and forth with one another. And, and this makes the stories of the Bible come alive because every new day, the stories are fresh with new meaning. As the world turns and as new situations and new things and new problems arise, that story sheds new light. And so... Um, uh, uh, a husband and a wife will banter back and forth about this, what the story means for their life. Children will banter about it, and it's like, okay. And I remember like the first time I heard this, it was like, oh my goodness, are, are the rabbis going to fight? And Because we don't do this as good Protestant people. And it was just this, but I think the story means that, and I think the story means that. But no, 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 the story completely means that. But have you considered this current event and how it sheds light on the story? And it's often like this, like, Wow. We can disagree. We can think new ways about um, this incredible story of the Bible. It's as if Jesus' words to us just ring true. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So Jesus embodies this midrash. This way of question and asking, this way of humbling ourselves again and again to hear new questions and to formulate it in new ways. The church can no longer be suspicious of questions, but embraces questions as a sacred path to God. So this new church, this church that we are dreaming about together, this church says every question is valid. And this big idea that, that the sacredness of all questions puts us on this path with God, this has some um, consequences. This has some big, big ideas underneath it. This means that the pastor no longer tells you what to believe, but the pastor raises the right questions. The pastor inspires your question asking your journey with God. This means that you are the people who are amazed and in awe and never stop your question. You are engaged. You are energized to never stop asking, how does Jesus make a difference in my regular, average, everyday life? How does the Christian life speak to the pains and problems of humanity? Your role is even more in this way of thinking about it. Your role to be engaged, to be excited, to be on the edge of your seat thinking, what's next? Because this makes Christianity an adventure of asking and seeking and more asking at the end of the day to smile at one another in joy and said, we've raised the right questions. We've encountered God somehow in their midst. Two more things. Um, why? Why do we ask questions? I read this great quote from Joichi Ito. He's a professor at MIT Media Lab. He says, in a world that's complex and fast, oh, when you see MIT, it means super, super smart. You should listen to him. In a world that's complex and fast, things aren't as predictable as they were before. You must be much more resilient to change, to failure, to the unexpected. Now you must maintain some of that childlike wonder and that ability to keep questioning and learning through doing. Childlike wonder is what this professor from MIT says the future of the world will be like. And then David Dark, the theologian, he says this type of questioning in the faith community will bring freedom. 
I believe deliverance begins with questions. It begins with people who love questions, people who live with questions and by questions, people who feel a deep joy when good questions are asked. So today, as we conclude, on your seat is an I don't know postcard. And on the very back of that is space for you. And I want to challenge you. Have you had questions you've just never been afraid or never felt safe enough to ask? I'm going to give you 30 seconds right now to, to, there should be a pen nearby you, to write out your questions. And maybe this is like, I'm like putting you on the spot. No, take this postcard home. Write your questions. Be unafraid to ask the biggest, the boldest questions there are. And if you're courageous enough to share these with me, I would love to hear your questions. I won't give you any answers, but we can find some answers together. So I want to invite you in this moment just to take 30 seconds and And if you want to email them to me, and if you want to post them on our Facebook page, your questions are welcome here. So let's just take 30 seconds with one another. 